0: hey everybody welcome to another baseball america podcast i'm kyle glazer we got another great show for you today breaking down the phillies top 10 prospects and to do that we're joined by chris Helburn trinkle chris the phillies are in a bit of a state of flux right now to say the least they missed the postseason once again this year. They now have the second longest playoff drought in Major League Baseball, behind only the Mariners. There's been some changes in the baseball leadership. General Manager Matt Clentax stepped down and was reassigned to a new role in the organization. Assistant GM Ned Rice has been named the interim GM. He and club president Andy McPhail are kind of running the show right now, but... There has still not been a full-time general manager hired, and there's a lot of speculation that there won't be, that they're just going to move forward with an interim GM and a club president. When you look at where the Phillies are right now, coming off a 28-32 and season with a historically bad bullpen, missing the playoffs in a year when the postseason was expanded, and given everything going on in the front office, how do you kind of assess where this organization is right now? Because you have a view of it really top to bottom, knowing the major leagues, as well as having done the legwork on this farm system?
1: Sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Kyle. Um, you know, I, I think they're definitely in a state of flux right now. Uh, and it's, it's a difficult time for the organization. You know, I mean, they brought in these big names, JT Realmuto, Bryce Harper, Didi Gregorius, Andrew McCutcheon. You know, they, they expected to make the postseason. This was not supposed to be a 500 or worse uh, team like it has been in the last two years. And I think it's, uh, you know, they are at a moment, they're at a crossroads um, because, you know, the worst place to be is usually right in the middle and that's where they are. Uh, When you look at the farm system side, they've got a long way to go. Um, I like the progress that Brian Barber made in his first year. They really made an emphasis of going after pitching. Uh, They got a lot of really good uh, non-drafted free agents after the draft, considering it was just a five-round draft. And that is promising, but, you know, this is a system that is really light on, on quality bats and uh, with Real Muto leaving in free agency and a lot of their big names, you know, are going to be entering free agency in the next few years, it, it's, it's tough to say what the organization needs to do next. And, you know, could we see a, a teardown coming uh, or are they just going to keep trying to compete uh, with so many moving parts and so many pieces that they need to be better moving forward?
0: The Phillies do have some pieces to build with. It's not like they're completely bereft of Major League talent. Reese Hoskins had a little bit of a bounce back year. Again, shortened season. You don't want to go too crazy. But it was still nice to see after he'd really slipped the last couple of years. Alec Bohm came up and was one of the best rookies in Major League Baseball. Bryce Harper continued to mash. If you look at the starting rotation, the Zach Wheeler signing looks great. You still have Aaron Nola, who's a true ace. Zach Eflin took a nice step forward this year. So there are pieces to work with. It just does, it does feel like there's still a lot to be filled out, though. So you have a nice group, if you will, to build with, but we've seen the back of the rotation be a problem for years. The bullpen, as we mentioned this year, was historically horrendous. I mean, it was unbelievable how bad they were. And as much as they had some really good players in the lineup in the top half, the bottom half, more often than not, left a lot to be desired. Scott Kingery has not taken the steps forward you want to see. Roman Quinn was their primary center fielder for a lot of the year. He does not offer much with the bat and has had trouble staying healthy. It really does become an interesting question of when you look at, they have some pieces in the major leagues, but really not the depth needed to compete. And the farm system has some players, but there's not a ton of depth there either. I don't know which way to go here. And I think it's an interesting debate. I don't think you can say definitively they should continue building or they have to tear it down. To me, you talk about a team in the middle they're right on the fence there.
1: Yeah. You know, I, th- I think it, it's a really tough question and, you know, you made a great point. I think uh, Bryce Harper almost seems to be uh, forgotten. It as crazy as that sounds, but he, he did have a really good year, uh, 157 OPS plus, And he was certainly uh, the hard, the, the best player in the lineup. Alec Bohm, you know, I don't think they could have asked for a better uh, start to his MLB career than what they got from him. Um, and, you know the biggest thing, like you said, the starting rotation, the top three are are pretty promising, um, and the big question is going to be how to fill out the back of the rotation, and that's why a guy like Spencer Howard um, is is so important to them. And then you know seeing what some of these guys like Connor Brogdon, JoJo Romero, Ramon Rosso, you know these rookie relievers. They really need steps forward from these guys uh, next season, and they try have to try and fill that out um, through free agency, obviously, as well.
0: Yeah, so I want to dive into this farm system. You mentioned Spencer Howard. I think because of those starting pitching issues, again, Vince Velasquez has teased for years, but was never the guy the Phillies hoped he was going to be. Nick Pavetta was someone else they were banked on to give them something. He ended up being traded this year, just never quite figured it out. Jake arietta has been a very disappointing free agent signee, in a lot of ways, it does feel like Spencer Howard is, is just critical to the Phillies' future because they need another arm, especially a homegrown arm, given their payroll commitments are pretty lofty right now. He's the number one prospect in the system for the second year in a row. Realistically, what kind of starting pitcher are the Phillies looking at here? And was there anyone else really in the debate for number one overall in this system?
1: You know, I, I think they understand that he's not a number one or number two starter. He's probably a mid-rotation guy. He, um, you know, he could be a really good mid-rotation guy. But uh, th- that is, is where the argument becomes interesting about where he is because, you know, they feel – or some people that I've talked to feel that Mick Abel has higher upside than Spencer Howard. It's just, you know, Spencer Howard pitched in the big leagues and he showed some promise. They really liked what they saw from his fastball and his slider. And overall, they were pleased with him. They thought the biggest thing was he just needs to be able to continue to get these repetitions against big league bats, know how to pitch to certain guys, and just, you know, maturing. This is a guy who only had six starts at A, and he was going to start the season at AAA in all likelihood, or A, and then move quickly to AAA. Um, but, you know, when you look at Mick Abel, he is someone who, who has higher upside, I think, than Spencer Howard. Uh, he had the best slider in the prep class, um, and he has a plus fastball that was reaching 97 to 100 at in instructs. So really, it, it came down to the fact that Spencer Howard is so close to being uh, – he's, he's pretty much big league ready, and he has a higher floor right now than Mick Abel, and it's just tough to put too much stock into a guy that was just drafted right out of high school. Um, and given him that number one spot. But they do certainly have some optimism with their top two guys.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of people out there that felt Mick Abel was the best high school pitcher in this draft class, ahead of guys like Jared Kelly and Nick Bitsko, who got a little more pub. Abel did not get a chance to pitch for his high school team this year. Uh, in Oregon, the season was shut down before it got started due to the coronavirus pandemic. But he showed a lot of promising things. And this is kind of always the interesting proximity versus upside debate. I think we've seen with high school right-handers, even the guys who appear to have it all there, there's just so many things that can go sideways. There's so many injury risks. And given that Howard has shown plenty of stuff as well and is already in the major leagues, I do understand why people with the Phillies felt that Howard should still be number one and ultimately that was reflected in the rankings. I do want to ask, Spencer Howard flashed some pretty big velocities in the minor leagues. In the majors, it was a little more good but not great. A lot of 94, 95, which, again, is plenty for a starter. Uh, but we had heard about touching 100 in the minors, getting into the upper 90s regularly. Was there any concern about the velocity drop and just where he's at?
1: No, um, you know that that's a good question. I know some people have have asked about that as well, but they weren't too concerned about it. They really thought that the biggest thing was just he did not it wasn't a normal year um and there were so many different variables of play that they thought you know he was really trying to just uh, help with his control, and that could have been part of the velocity dip a little bit, but he really was trying to to uh, locate his pitches. um they were not worried about the velocity and they overall just thought that he showed a lot of of promising um, aspects of the major league level, including his fastball um, and especially his slider. So they, they were really, really optimistic actually with everything that he showed. Um, And, and I would expect uh, next season having a full uh, spring training and having, you know, being able to build yourself back up, Before you hit them uh, into the start of the regular season, I think that he will be in a better spot, and we'll probably see that velocity come back.
0: Yeah, that's going to be one of the biggest things to watch for the Phillies, really both short-term and long-term. They need him to really step up, and again, as you mentioned, the nice thing is they don't need him to be their ace. They have Aaron Nola. They locked him up to an extension. They signed Zach Wheeler to a lengthy deal last offseason, so Spencer Howard has some time. He can grow into being that number three, number four starter, which Every good team needs to compete as the Phillies themselves have seen for many, many years now. If you have two good starters, but no one to fill out spots three, four, five reliably, you're not going to win enough games to be a postseason team. So it'll be interesting to see his development, as you said, getting back on more of a normal schedule as we head into 2021, hopefully. Mick Abel was also someone you mentioned, possibility for the number one overall spot, ultimately ended up number two in the system. You talked about him having higher upside what is the upside here?
1: Uh, you know, they believe that he's a number one or a number two starter. Uh, yeah, they think he's a top of the rotation pedigree arm. Um, and they just believe that the biggest thing with him is just, you know, being able to, uh, like during, during the, this, uh, the truncated season for the major leagues, uh, he was in Oregon just working on throwing programs and progressions, things of that nature. They just want to see him continue to do that. And they really want to see more development from his curveball, um, at least get it to average to above average. You know, he's already got a change up as his third pitch, which is an average offering. And he's got pretty good control, especially for someone just out of high school. Um, and they certainly think that his fastball is going to continue to get better. Same with the slider. Uh, so I think the biggest thing is just getting that fourth pitch down um, with, the rest of his, with the rest of his arsenal. But they are really, really excited about him.
0: Again, high school right-hander, you always have to be cautious, but there's no question this is someone that evaluators were very, very high on throughout the draft. As we mentioned, he didn't get to pitch his senior season, but everything he'd shown leading up to it, everything he'd shown outside of a normal high school season, people were very, very high on him for all the reasons you stated. Just have to see what it looks like over a full season, pitching every fifth day. But there's a lot of reason to be excited. I, for one, do feel like this is someone that if he goes out and shows that, yes, he can hold that stuff pitching every fifth day over the course of a full final league season, this is someone who could very well end up being a top 100 prospect and ultimately an impact big leader, which again, is the point of being a top 100 prospect.
1: Right, absolutely. Um, You know, it'll be really interesting to see how the season goes. Obviously, he should be at low class A Um, at some point, you know, I don't know if they will start him there at the start of the season or give him more time. But uh, I think that will be the biggest thing is seeing how he is able to work with starting every fifth day and just seeing how he's able to go against guys who are going to be more experienced than he is naturally, just from the aspect of this guy is still going to be 19 years old um, when when he first hits uh, minor league baseball.
0: We hit on Howard and Abel being the clear top two in this system. Bryson Stott, who was their first-round pick in 2019 out of UNLV, checked in at number three. Was he the clear number three? Take me through the second tier and how many other guys were really in the mix here.
1: Um, Yeah, he was the clear number three. Uh, Just with speaking to officials within the organization, they were pretty confident that it was, you know, the first tier was uh, was pretty obvious in Howard and Abel. And then afterward, you know, there's a lower tier of Bryson Stott, uh, Francisco Morales would be in that tier, Rafael Marchin and Luis Garcia. Um, but they really felt like Bryson Stott was the next name on that list. Um, there's a lot of things that they really like with him. They he's he's a guy who, you know, he doesn't scream uh, plus or plus plus in any category, but he's a guy who across the board is average to above average, um, and they really wanted to just see how he worked against higher velocity um, at the alternate site. And they were really pleased with his development there. They were pleased with the way that he was uh, able to hit the ball at all fields. He's been a little pull happy. Um, but he's someone who I think not having a minor league season really impacted because, you know, we only got to see him at short season and rookie ball after he was drafted. And he obviously hit well there at 291. Um, but it, he will be someone who's really interesting to see, how they move him along this year because it could be a pretty pretty quick um, pretty quick detour through the minor leagues. I mean, he's, he's probably going to start at A-ball, but, you know, I would not be surprised to see him at AAA by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, again, someone who performed well for Team USA, even though he was at a mid-major college, a lot of people liked him and thought this was a definite first-round pick. Uh, the progression of the bat is always something to watch, especially for a guy who was playing in a lot of high altitude locales when he was in college. But um, there does seem to be a, a nice skill set here. Chris, it does feel like we talked about the top two guys in this system have the potential to be impact players. Stott, for the most part, is seen as a potential, you know, nice solid player, you know, play every day, be a good contributor. And then it seems like there's a whole bunch of guys where it can go any which way, and you're not really sure, A, if they'll be big leaguers, and B, what kind of big leaguers they'll be. Take us through this next group, and and how bunched together is this? Because from the outside looking in, it just seems like Francisco Morales all the way down really to number 10 is a mix of guys who, well, they could be something, and if they are, it might be more of a contributor than anything else.
1: You hit the nail on the head. I mean, there is there is a a pretty wide variance with these guys. Um, just in looking at Francisco Morales, this is a guy who they think could be, you know, a back-end starter or, you know, a reliever. And it all pretty much depends on the development of his changeup, uh, where he can go both ways. I mean, Rafael Marchan, he's got some nice tools. He's a really good defender, but the bat is really lagging behind. Um, you know, Luis Garcia, another guy who's a really good defender, but he would you know he really struggled at, at Lakewood um in in twenty nineteen. And with all these guys, it's really, you know, it's going to be sort of a wait and see. And it's hard be, to really project what they can be because most of these guys if they've played an A ball, it's pretty much all low A. Um, and then like you have Joan Rojas who has not played full season ball yet, Josuar Garcia, who they just signed this year, um and it really is, there's a lot of question marks um, at the top of this system in terms of, you know, after Stott, Howard, and Abel, you know, we don't know what these guys are going to be. I think this next year will really give a lot of clarity on on what guys like Francisco Morales are going to be, what someone like Luis Garcia will be, what someone like Simon Muziatti will be. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how the 2021 season goes for these guys.
0: Was there a whole lot of separation in terms of Morales clearly four, Marshawn clearly five, or could you literally put them at nine and 10 and it really wouldn't be that big of a gap?
1: You know, there's not a lot of separation. And I know uh, people within the organization uh, sort of go this way and that way on these guys. There, it, there is a clear, they are the clear top 10 prospects, but once you get them into the top 10, you can certainly go this way or that way with where you have them um, because of the fact that they all have some promise, but you know, there's a lot of things that these guys have to work on. Um, and, and these are guys who, you know, pretty much all of them have a couple tools where you're really just waiting to see uh, what they can do. And they're guys that really need to develop moving forward.
0: Yeah, one thing that stands out is four through nine are all players, the Philly sign on the international market. That's a place they have been very, very active. Uh, we haven't seen the results in the major leagues yet, but obviously they're trying to build something there. Just in terms of that scouting operation, some of the players they've brought up, just kind of how do you see where they are there organizationally, especially when, again, there are some guys here where if even one of these guys hits, in the grand scheme of things, you know, that's a pretty nice reward.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's, it's pretty encouraging to see a system that has five guys in the top nine that they, they hit on the international market. And especially, you know, they they have three outfield prospects right there. And outfield is an area certainly of need on the big league club. And, you know, you have to take these chances. And they're a team that certainly has put resources into the international market. And I think that is something that Phillies fans should be encouraged about amidst um, some question marks is the fact that the Phillies are willing to spend and they are willing to to go after aggressively some of these guys who are younger but are really toolsy players such as like a Josuar Garcia, who they really believe believe could end up having five uh, above average tools when it's all said and done.
0: And a big part of being successful on the international market is not just signing the guys who are the big names, but finding the gems. Johan Rojas signed for just $10,000, was not a big name on the international market came out and had a really strong debut in the Dominican Summer League, followed up a teenager in the short season. Where is this guy in his development? Because it does feel like the Phillies might have a gem here. Again, we're talking about someone who just turned 20, did not play all of 2020 except for Instructional League, has yet to see full season ball. It's a lottery ticket. But you mentioned that Rojas' upside is matched by a few other prospects in the system. What do the Phillies have here and what makes him so intriguing?
1: Well, I think the Phillies have a guy who, you know, has the chance to have five above average or better tools. I mean, he could be a five-tool guy uh, in the outfield. And I can just tell you that they were really impressed with what they saw from him in instructional league. He was hitting balls 113, 112, uh, exit velocities, and they were they were really excited about him. Um, you can You can just tell that he's a guy – like you you said um has really high upside um and I think the, the biggest thing here is we have to see what he does at full season ball just because he hasn't been at that level before but all the raw tools are there for him to be a successful big leaguer. um I, I'd like to see him you know try and change his game plan depending on what kind of count he's in and they're trying to get him to add a little bit more loft to his swing they want to see him add a little bit more power but he, you've got a guy there who has the potential to be a 20-25 uh, home run, 280 average guy with good defense in the outfield. And that's something that, uh, if if you hit on it, like you said, it's a lottery ticket. But if you hit on it, that's great.
0: And again, part of the reason he's number nine in the system, despite all that promise, is it's all projection. You know, the guys above him, for the most part, have seen full season ball, have shown that their raw tools can translate into in-game skills, which is a huge, huge part of development. So again, really promising, but a long way to go. You mentioned that this was the top 10, Nick Maton checking in at number 10. How many other guys were in consideration for this, or was there a hard delineation here after Maton?
1: Um, You know, I I would say the one guy that was certainly in hard consideration was Casey Martin, um, who was their third round pick out of Arkansas. He was a guy who a lot of people thought was going to be a first-round pick before coming into the season. Um, he's a really toolsy player. He's got plus power, plus-plus um, speed, and he's a good defender. The biggest thing with him is just we have to see how he can adjust to minor league pitching, especially considering his strikeout rate was 26% and higher in college, and that, that's a big question mark, is can this guy make contact enough to be a big league regular? But he's certainly someone who uh, was very close to being uh, in the top 10, and he's right behind um, who we have at number 10. It's just, it'll be interesting to see how he's able to improve his contact tool. It's something that they spoke a lot with him about um, during Zoom calls after they drafted him, was they really want to see him just being able to, uh, to cut down on his aggressive approach and really try and expand, uh, expand counts and try and make more contact.
0: Yeah, it's not often we talk about college position players from SEC programs being lottery tickets, but this is a case, you know, I remember speaking to some people before the draft about him. And one of the things that came up was, you know, yeah, I mean, you can see all these tools, but There's also a chance this is Jaron Kendall. Uh, Kendall, you might remember was a first round pick of the Dodgers out of Vanderbilt in 2017. Same deal. Unbelievable. I mean, gold glove level defense in center field, big arm, close to an 80 grade runner, great pedigree, team USA, SEC. But the question was, can this guy make enough contact in college? And we've gotten a pro ball. And the answer has been no. So, it's just one of those things where you, know, you can dream on upside as much as you want, but the number one driver of upside is if you can hit. If you can't hit, it doesn't matter. So I think he's going to be one of those guys that's just going to be very fascinating to watch what kind of pro debut he has next year. Because as you mentioned, there's a lot of talent, but you've got to be able to make contact. And if he can, the Phillies might have something.
1: Yeah, you know, if he if he shows in the first year that he can really cut down on that strikeout rate and he gets his average a little higher, I think, you know, they would be ecstatic. But he's a guy who, you know, we might be able to see rather quickly whether or not it's going to be able to translate to the minor leagues. Um, and it really is a lot of – it's it's pretty much boom or bust. And it's hard to see him fitting anywhere in the middle just based off of uh, how what he's shown at the collegiate level and just his – tool set in general and being able to make contact.
0: So Chris, the big question here is, because again, the point of prospects, the point of farm systems is to grow them into major leaguers or players you can use in trade to acquire major leaguers. Taking the guys the Phillies have in their system, plugging them into some of the holes in the major league roster we've talked about. Is that enough to take this team from the middle to Playoff contention? Because I think that's the million dollar question here. And just looking at it kind of neutrally, I don't think the answer is yes. This still strikes me as, you know, again, plug in Howard, plug in Abel, plug in Stop to that core. You're still going to need more starting pitching just because we've seen you need more than four or five starting pitchers to get through a season now. You've got to have the depth. And there's still probably some holes in that lineup. Do you see it the same way, and, and how do the Phillies address that?
1: No, I, I definitely see it the same way as you. I think you're, you're absolutely correct that there are a few guys in the system that are gyms who should be, uh, you know, first division regulars. But then the question is, after that, a lot of these guys, their upside is maybe – or their, their – uh, excuse me, their realistic expectation is a middle reliever or a fourth outfielder or a utility guy in the infield. And you know, you need more than that to be able to to reach the playoffs, especially for a team like the Phillies that has a decent amount of holes. Um, I, I think the biggest thing here is you just you, you gotta get better at drafting. You know, they've had some whiffs in the past few years. Uh, I was encouraged by the draft from uh Brian Barber's team um in twenty in twenty twenty. I think they did a good job, but you know, you have to be able to – you have to be continue to spend on the international market and you have to continue to put resources into drafting these guys who can be high-impact players one day at the major league level. And they're just not there yet, um, especially on the hitting side. There's just not enough uh, high-impact bats to to really expect these guys to push them into the playoffs. I think those are things that are going to be – have to be addressed probably in, in free agency um, to, to really – Get to the place that they would like to be.
0: I will say one thing that will help on that front is if Scott Kingry can figure things out offensively. You know, Adam Hazley has shown some ability to hit for average, get on base, if he can up the power a little bit. There are some potential internal developments that could help them on that front. Uh, we just have to see how it all plays out. Again, this is by no means a hopeless team or a team that lacks talent, there is talent on the field. We know that they have players up and coming that could help them soon. Again, we saw Alec Bohm go from prospect to one of the NL Rookie of the Year front runners in a very, very short time span this year. So it's just going to be about continuing to build, making some additions, and, and also you know getting the front office organized the way they want it to. As we mentioned, they're still operating with an interim general manager. We'll see if they hire a GM, when they hire a GM, and really how everything works out maybe they hire a president of baseball operations there's just so many different ways they can go so it's hard to kind of make any grand predictions until the front office has kind of established what it's going to be but it does make the Phillies interesting to watch I'll be very curious to see what they do this offseason and what the team looks like moving into next year Chris any final thoughts here just on the Phillies as a whole
1: yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Uh, they, they are in a – they're not in a terrible spot right now. They're in a, a pretty decent spot. But I, I would just like to see um, what we get from some of these guys that they drafted in the last couple of years, guys like Kendall Simmons, Jabari, Jamari Baylor, um, athletic middle infielders, someone like Eric Miller, um, lefty out of Stanford from 2019 is another interesting guy to keep an eye on. And, you know, maybe we do see big steps forward from some of these guys um, this season – and it puts the Phillies uh, in a better position. You know, only time will tell. But this is a team that does have at least a, a good core to work with. And it will just be interesting to see what happens with the front office uh, moving forward.
0: That it will be. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate your time as always.
1: Thanks for having me, Cal.
0: All right, everyone. That'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Chris helburn Trinkle, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there.